0: Hello, I'm Nick Miller, and here we are again, episode six of the Sunday Miller, and they said it would never outlast Liz Truss, or that lettuce. On my way to the studio via the underground this time, it's a bit of a walk from me to the O2, but I like the Jubilee line. It reminds me of hanging out at the bunting for Charles's mum, but a few short months ago. How things have changed in that short passage of time. I feel a little bit silly talking to myself on the train, but then who knows, maybe that's what I do every Sunday when my podcast comes out and the ratings aren't in yet. It's another quiet news week this week. What on earth am I going to talk about? Let me think now. One of my neighbours bought a new yucca plant. Another of my neighbours bought a hibiscus plant. And the old lady down the road bought a nuclear processing plant. So hopefully we'll be self-sufficient in terms of power in Greenwich if Putin decides to invade Deptford or Blackheath. You never know. Um, In this episode, I'll be talking telly, with the BBC celebrating its centenary and Channel 4 commemorating its fourth decade. Both institutions probably hoping that if Boris does make a comeback, Nadine Dorries doesn't. I'll be touching on Graham Norton, not in the biblical sense, and it's back, Friday Night Live, just when you thought all the original comedians were dead. I'll be telling you how Charles is dealing with the cost of living crisis by scaling back on the coronation. And of course, it's been quite a week for our glorious leader, But will we miss her when she's gone? Are all the other world leaders quite what they're cracked up to be? Of course, when something momentous like this happens, the memes fly around the metaverse like confetti. One of the best ones on the day that trust resigned said, breaking news, the draw for the next PM will be at 9 PM tonight using Excalibur and set of balls number six. Just so happens that our voiceover man is none other than the legendary voice of the balls himself, the fabulous Alan Dedicote. And we employ him to say nice things about me like this Nick Miller, the voice of the common man. Very, very common. to confess to having been glued to the TV this week watching events unfold in the nation's favourite soap opera. The turmoil caused by that incredible storm and the devastating aftermath was something to behold. It was hard to believe that something so catastrophic could happen in real life. And, and you find yourself thinking, I wonder which central character they're going to kill off next. Hard to believe that so many catastrophic events could happen in the space of just a week. I am, of course, referring to Westminster, undeniably the nation's favourite soap opera. Maybe in her parallel universe, Liz Truss leaves triumphant. After the sacking of the Chancellor last Friday week, we thought the big news of the week would be the departure of Home Secretary Suella Braverman, who was forced to resign over data breaches. I don't know where that leaves me. I'm very fond of data breaches. I wear them all the time. I must admit that when the announcement came at 1.30 on Thursday, I saw that wooden structure being lifted out of number ten into Downing Street, and I thought to myself, "Is that a lectern or a gallows? I suppose metaphorically much the same." It was Harold Wilson who once said, "A week is a long time in politics." You remember Harold Wilson? He was the, the the Yorkshire accent, the flat cap. He would have fitted into Emmerdale like a fingerless glove. <laughs> for the hills. It's the Sunday Miller. I'm confused. Easily confused sometimes. I don't understand certain things, and sometimes I understand why I don't understand. For example, skateboards. How on God's earth do they propel you? Bitcoin. Can you ever lose one down the back of your sofa? NFTs. What's the point if you can't hang them on the wall? And wrapping. I only understand it for birthdays and Christmas. But there's a simple explanation. According to my daughters, those things are just not meant for me. And if you type that into Google synonyms, you get you're just old mate so i get it that i don't get it but someone explained to me just stop oil just stop it doing what those protesters who glue themselves to the road and stop you getting to work who've probably arrived there in a gas guzzling vehicle but would try and convince you that they walked you know the type either way they couldn't have got there without oil because if they had walked they'd be wearing shoes with heels and soles made using polyethylene which is synthetic rubber made with oil Now, forgive my repeating myself from last week, but those two ghastly, sour-faced little brats who threw soup at Van Gogh's Sunflowers in the National Gallery bought tins of soup manufactured by machinery using oil. They were wearing T-shirts containing products made from petroleum. In fact, most clothing we buy today contains products made from petroleum. And the inks used in the message, Just Stop Oil, Guess What? Are Manufactured Using Oil. One of the activists, 21-year-old Phoebe Plummer from London, said in front of the painting, What's worth more, art or life? Is it worth more than food? Love, you threw food at the painting. Chairman Mao used to say that the more books you read, the more stupid you became. I can only assume those two girls must have worked their way through the British Library. They were charged with criminal damage of the frame. The painting was protected by glass, and so the staff at the National Gallery just wiped it off. Now, I get the problem. If we put every eco-protester in jail, we'd run out of space. So how about we build a prison cell with a very high wall and superglue them to it? And just for good measure, throw soup at them. The Sunday Millen more balls than the National Lottery. It's been reported that King Charles is very mindful of not appearing to be too extravagant in these times of the cost of living crisis so he wants his coronation next May to be slimmed down. So he and Camilla will be travelling to the ceremony in one of those rickshaws you get in the West End. You know the ones with the disco lighting and the funky music. They're having a banquet in KFC but it's no expense spared. Bargain buckets and Malteser crush'ems all round. Now trust me that's one hell of a treat because you could never ever buy a Malteser crush'em. I once gatecrashed a KFC training seminar to find out more. What do we tell customers if they come in and ask for Malteser Crusham? Yes, Margaret. Sorry, the machine isn't working. That's right, well done. Yes, Keith. Is that just after a certain hour of the day? No, it's all day long. Stop asking stupid questions, Keith. So why do we still have the posters up advertising it? I warned you, Keith. Security, I have that man removed and put him in the crusher machine. There's been a, a lot of fuss about... Camilla's potential headgear concerning the provenance of the Koh-i-Noor diamond, which is embedded into the crown that Charles once had to wear. Apparently, it's a large, colourless diamond that passed between Mughal princes, Iranian warriors, Afghan rulers, and Punjabi maharajas before it was nicked by the East India Company in 1849 and given to Queen Victoria. So, instead, they're using one of those blow-up crowns you get at kids' birthday parties. <laughs> of course, of course, I made that bit up. But uh, then, of course, everything about the crown is made up. Just ask Netflix. That episode where Prince Charles and John Major both got smashed on hash cakes in a branch of Hooters apparently never happened in real life. Well, anyway, they'd better get their skates on. They've only got until May the 6th to plan the ceremony. Where where are we now? October, November, December. There's only another 16 prime ministers between then and now. The Sunday Miller. Half an hour of your life you'll never get back. Speaking of the coronation... Meghan Markle, she won't be going, was in the news again this week, you remember her. She claims that she quit the American version of Deal or No Deal as a bag lady, I I, I do beg your pardon, as a suitcase handler, because she felt objectified. The fact that at the time she was a model seems to have escaped her memory, given that surely the whole point of being a model is that people look at you. How dare people have looked at her? Apparently this came up in an interview with Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton interviewing Meghan Markle. I mean, Frost Nixon. it isn't. If you were playing a game of opposites, this would be as far removed from the word intellectual as is humanly possible. The prospect of Paris Hilton interviewing Meghan Markle is a bit like asking an ironing board to interrogate a goldfish. If you plugged Paris Hilton directly into the national grid, she'd still be dimmer than a five watt light bulb. The reason for suggesting that Meghan Markle is the goldfish in this analogy is that every five seconds she mentions that she wants to keep a low profile, which is presumably why she married a prince. In my latest novel, Cinderella the Sequel, she and the prince are divorced. The prince ends up marrying one of the ugly sisters who turns out to be actually quite nice after all, and she gets a Saturday job in dulcis, hoping that some other gullible cuckold will fall at her feet. And that's where the fairy tale ends the inevitable bitter divorce of the Sussexes, you mark my words. The difference between Meghan Markle and Cinderella is that, quite frankly, the shoe never fitted in the first place. The Sunday Miller. You wouldn't have to listen to this nonsense if you were in church. I think it would be wrong for me to suggest that Graham Norton's an irritating twat for suggesting that cancel culture doesn't exist. That wouldn't be very nice. So what I will say is that Graham Norton's an irritating twat just in general. So what I'm hoping is that when the BBC finally catch on and cancel his dreadful show, he'll deny that he's been cancelled and turn up at the studio every Thursday anyway, wondering where all the guests have gone. His opening monologues are so painfully unfunny there's more comedy in a North Korean news bulletin and he could barely be more sycophantic to his guests if he wanked them off on stage. You may have gathered that I'm not Norton's biggest fan. I am, however, a huge fan of Graham Linehan, who, you may be aware, was co-creator of Father Ted, The IT Crowd and Black Books, amongst many. Also the wonderful sketch show Big Train. Having recently been subjected to some vile social media abuse himself and Twitter cancelling his account because of a comment he made about trans women joining the Women's Institute, Linehan, who, as it happens, gave Norton his first comedy break with a role in Father Ted, feels betrayed by the chat show host's most recent comments that cancel culture doesn't exist. And all it actually is, is accountability. There must be a great comfort to the likes of J.K. Rowling and Salman Rushdie, who enjoy varying degrees of accountability almost every day of the week which involves threats that are too horrendous to mention, and in the case of Mr Rushdie, almost cost him his life very recently. Perhaps the BBC should fit a microphone down Graham Norton's trousers, as he's so well known for talking bollocks. It's the Sunday Miller. I don't know about you, but I find myself watching breakfast television and hating myself for it afterwards. It's a bit like how you feel after a McDonald's or sleeping with a prostitute. I'm speaking hypothetically here. I'm not confessing to something so grubby and illicit. Of course I'd never eat a McDonald's. Breakfast TV is the worst kind of tabloid journalism. It's the classic state-the-bleed-and-obvious type of reality news broadcasting. You know when you read a red-top newspaper article and the headline's something like Man falls off roof trying to fix TV aerial. Then you read the article underneath and it's just two paragraphs long and all it says is Yesterday a man fell off the roof of his house while attempting to fix his TV aerial. The breakfast television version of that journalistic tabloid model is when they tell you that the cost of living crisis is affecting many people around the country, and then they interview someone and say, how are you finding the cost of living crisis? Well, I'm struggling to afford things. Oh, I I see. When When you said people are struggling to afford things, I thought you meant a man fell off the roof of his house while trying to fix his TV aerial. I think it would make a refreshing change if they admitted they only highlight the struggles of the feckless and the work shy. How are you finding the cost of living crisis? Well, I'm having to decide whether to feed the children or pay for my fags and Sky TV and Netflix. So I suppose you've had to cancel your subscriptions? No, obviously I've had to send the kids out to work. I mean, the oldest is 12 now. Ah, well, uh, do do you work then? No, 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 of course I can't work in the day. Oh dear, do you suffer from an illness or a disability? No, 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 cash in the attic's on at three. (laughs) Nick Miller, the voice of the common man. Very common. Liz Truss must have been hoping that this year would have seen her immortalised as the nation's premier when the BBC celebrated its centenary. Instead, she fell victim to another institution turning 100, that being the dreaded 1922 committee. But enough of politics. If you only watch one thing on TV this week, make sure it's on Thursday night 9pm BBC Two. It's called The Love Box in Your Living Room and it's the lovingly made-up homage to 100 years of the BBC by two of its greatest ever comedy performers, Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse. If you happen to see their celebration of 50 years of BBC Two, the story of the twos, you'll know what I was talking about and you won't want to miss it. Trust me, it is comedy parody bliss. It just so happens to be 40 years since the launch of Channel 4, and I have a theory that Nadine Dorries deliberately intended to threaten to privatise Channel 4 in order to get them to up their game. The channel that once delighted and shocked and amazed and innovated with its mix of the controversial and the groundbreaking and the occasionally downright brilliant drama and comedy and documentaries and its own Film 4 brand has, in my opinion, been on life support for too many years. Not even Alan Partridge in your worst dystopian dream could have created some of the utter crap that's been churned out in recent times. I give you naked attraction and the man with the eight stone testicles. But suddenly it's back on form and apparently the winner of Channel of the Year. I must admit when I hear that sort of accolade, I wonder who actually voted. It may well have been Channel four awards for Channel of the Year, I don't know. But uh, that said, it's making a huge effort to prove that it should maybe stay in public ownership. The quality of its output has improved dramatically late The quality of its drama has improved dramatically of late save for the horrendously shouty incoherent reinvention of the big breakfast of course it's doing well but occasionally it's good to see an old friend coming back so it was great to see friday night live back again this week with some of the comedy greats back on screen in the shape of ben elton and the aforementioned harry enfield and joe brand well done channel four and well done nadine dorries on your very clever subterfuge and i'm delighted to report i've got some brilliant guests coming up in the next few weeks including a couple of fabulous comedians and performers who appeared in the original series of Saturday Night Live and its various successors. I was hoping to have the wonderful Richard Morton one half of the legendary Oblivion Brothers as my guest this week but rather fashionably he has Covid. So get well soon Richard, we will talk soon. The Sunday Miller Half an hour of your life you'll never get back why is it that us big, grown-up human beings are frightened of small things that, frankly, we could quite easily tread on? I refer, of course, to annoying little pests like mice and spiders and Nicholas Sturgeon. The reason I mention this is because this morning, before I headed off to the studio, I caught out of the corner of my eye a massive great spider crawling up my wall, heading for the light-fitting. You know what it's like when you see a spider, you've got to act quickly to get rid of it or it sneaks under the sofa. and That's even more annoying because you know it's still in your house and at any given moment it might suddenly reappear and eat you. I'm pretty adept with the old glass and a bit of card trick where you put the glass over the spider and you slide the card underneath, then you rush to the door or window to throw it across the street. In this case, and I know that people exaggerate about the size of spiders when they retell a story about how they caught one, it was one big bastard. I ended up putting the dog's lead on it and it walked me around the block. Fear of spiders is of course known as arachnophobia. Worse than that is anarachnophobia. That involves being invited to a cheese and wine party and getting stuck in the corner talking to somebody with a vaguely scientific job. Not only do they tell you what they do for a living, but they tell you how they do it, even though you didn't ask. I once got stuck on a flight next to a bloke who worked at a sewage plant. He spent the entire flight telling me how they used certain insects to break down the sewage. I resisted the temptation to tell him I really wasn't interested in learning about his shitty job. As for the Spider, I think it's okay. Being as Greenwich as a Labour borough, I believe they've given it a council web. The Sunday Miller: More balls than the National Lottery taking over a job that proved to be a step too far, trying to change the culture too quickly, meeting with stubborn resistance to change from those around them, and then suffering the indignation and the embarrassment of the sack after just 44 days. I refer, of course, to Brian Clough and his short spell as manager of Leeds United, although he would have made a much better prime minister. I'm not saying I'm the best manager in the world, but I'm in the top one. So it's not been the best of times for Liz Truss. Let's just say she's had better weeks But at least she can say she's equaled that record set by the late, great Brian Clough. And at least she's proved to be an albeit short-lived heroine amongst the Ukrainian people for continuing the moral and military support given to the country by her predecessor and potential successor, Boris Johnson. At least in her resignation speech, she managed to get the name of the country right. Putin's illegal war in Ukraine threatens the security of our whole continent let's comfort ourselves with the thought that other countries are not quite so fortunate as their leaders evidently must have struggled in geography lessons at school putin may circle kiev with tanks but it'll never gain the hearts and souls of the iranian people that's the incumbent president of the united states of america possibly quite rightly pointing out that putin probably isn't that popular with rank and file iranians who have their own bunch of evil bastards to deal with Maybe they should do what we might find ourselves doing next week and reinstating one of their previous much revered leaders. They can surely be relied upon to not get confused over the name of the country being invaded. Here's George W. Bush. And uh, the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean of Ukraine. (laughs) No, actually, George, that was you. But back to Biden again. Please tell me they've plugged him into the mains for an hour or two and properly briefed him after the last cock-up. How do we get to the place where, you know, Putin decides he's going to just invade Russia? And nothing like this has happened since World War II. Jesus, I'm not entirely sure that even in the Second World War, Russia invaded Russia. But look, next week, Boris could be back cast aside 44 days ago, but now all is forgiven and forgotten. I mean, an undisputed hero for the president of the Ukraine, and so revered in that country, they've taken to naming streets after him. Surely Boris can't fuck it up. Thanks also, of course, to the inspirational leadership of of Vladimir Putin, uh, the inspirational leadership of Volodymyr Zelensky. (laughs) Oh well, maybe Liz wasn't so bad after all. Nick Miller, the face for radio, the voice for a ransom demand. So that's it for another week. If the Ruskies don't nuke us and they don't ask me to run for Prime Minister as literally everybody else has already had a go, I'll see you next week. Remember, you may not agree with some of my opinions, but life's all about diversity of opinion. It'd be bloody boring if we all agreed on everything. Unless you agree with me, in which case that'd be fine. I jest, of course, in this polarised, divided world, please don't cancel anyone. They may just have a point. I'd like to tell you what's in next week's podcast, but I can't because the news hasn't happened yet. See you next time. The Sunday Miller is written and presented by Nick Miller.